0: If you need a Bible, uh, the ushers will have one for you. If you have your Bible, uh, just raise your hand. They'll give you one. If you have your Bible, make your way to Matthew chapter 19 as we journey through the Bible verse by verse. We're picking up today uh, a message where we left off last week, God's design for marriage. This is part two of that, that, uh, that study, God's design for marriage. God has a brilliant design for marriage. And when we understand that design, it will transform our married lives. It will bring so much joy into our lives. And uh, we're going to find a couple of places, if you will. Find Matthew 19 and also find your way to 1 Corinthians 7 and put your bullet in there to mark it. We'll turn there later. Let me kind of set the stage for where we were last week. In case you are just joining us this week. We left off last week. Jesus was leaving the region of Galilee. Jesus had done a lot of ministry in the Galilee area. He loved it there. He would circle the whole Sea of Galilee, ministering to all the towns. Beautiful area. Sea of Galilee is gorgeous. Green rolling hills on the sides. Uh, Still uh, largely undeveloped to this day. It's a beautiful place to visit. And Jesus did a lot of his ministry there. He was leaving the Sea of Galilee for the last time, going to Jerusalem, because he is going to be crucified. We are now just uh, only a few weeks away from Jesus' crucifixion as we pick up our story in Matthew 19. And Jesus, knowing this is what's ahead, imagine what he feels as he leaves the Sea of Galilee. Going, oh my gosh, the friendships I've built here, the relationships, the beauty of the lake, uh, his last time there. And he goes down to Jerusalem where he knows he's going to be crucified to pay the price of your sin and my sin. We have a God. Jesus was God in the flesh. We have a God who came to this world to take the punishment of our sins that we might have eternal life given to us as a free gift. He accomplished what we could not accomplish, living a sinless life. He accomplished that in the flesh that he might give us that inheritance as a free gift, his righteousness given to us freely to all who call upon him and ask for it. Uh, Just amazing. What an amazing Savior. And on the journey, the religious leaders asked Jesus a question about marriage and divorce. And they did so uh, not because they really wanted to know the answer. They weren't asking from a pure heart. The passage is going to tell us they were asking, tempting Jesus. They were testing him. Uh, They were trying to set him up. And Jesus gave, from their question, gave them a beautiful answer. He took them back to Genesis chapter 2 that we looked at last week. And he reminded them what God's design for marriage was from the beginning. That a husband and a wife would come together and they would be one flesh. An intimacy so close Something that is unique to marriage and marriage alone. And he went back to the garden and he showed the Garden of Eden and he showed them, answered them from that uh, that passage what it means to to be married in God's eyes, to be one flesh. And uh, by the way, if you have young children, this is going to be a PG thirteen message today, uh, so you might want to uh, uh, take them out and get them checked into their Sunday school classrooms. Um, <laughs> Uh, and with that, here we go. Uh, <laughs> Matthew chapter 19. Let's pick up, and as a way of review, we'll pick up in verse 1, just kind of setting the stage for where we're going. Now, it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings. These sayings, yeah, the sayings that he had been teaching in the previous chapters. He's been telling them, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die for your sins. I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of the, the religious leaders and to the Romans. They're going to put me on a cross, but I'll rise again on the third day. He's teaching them about sonship. You're my sons, you're my daughters. I love you. He's teaching them about forgiveness. I want you to be forgiving, just as I forgiveness flows freely from me to you. Now let that forgiveness flow from you into others. That's what he's been teaching. And when he finished teaching these sayings, he departed from Galilee. From the the sea of Galilee, and he came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. So he crosses over the Jordan. Reason is he was up in, in Galilee, which is to the north. Jerusalem is straight to the south, but instead of going straight south, he comes down south and he gets to Samaria. And when he gets to Samaria, the Samaritans kick him out. They don't let him pass through the region. So he has to travel over the sea, over the uh, 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 Jordan River into the area of Perea, and he comes down Perea as he makes his way back to Jerusalem. Takes a long road, in other words. Um, so he goes beyond the region of the, uh, of the Jordan, verse 2, and great multitudes followed him and he healed them there i love that this is our jesus just rejected he's going to die he's he's on his journey to go to jerusalem to die for us on his journey he's rejected by people he goes a different route people come to him and he has great compassion and he heals them of their blindness of their deafness of their lameness of their inability to walk. And he heals them. And the physical is a picture of the spiritual. This is what Jesus does in our life. He heals them all in his grace and his mercy. And uh, uh, look what it says, verse 3. The Pharisees also came to him, but they came very differently. Look at the next words. They came to him testing him. What a difference. Some come to him broken, saying, Lord, I need to be healed. And Jesus heals them. Some come not broken, but arrogant, self-righteous, prideful. And they come and they say, well, let me see about this Jesus. And they don't come as hearers. They don't come as listeners. They don't come as students. They come as judges. And they come testing him. By the way, uh, everyone here today is coming in one of those two positions. You either come with a broken heart, a humble heart, saying, Lord, even though I'm a sinner, I want to sit at your table. I want to know you. Uh, Lord, heal me, bless me. Or you come to, well, I'll come see. Let me see what that preacher does today. Let's see what he says. Uh, As a judge, right, we come one of two ways. And they come testing him, and they say, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered, and he said to them, have you not read? I love that, by the way, because uh, these these were religious leaders coming to Jesus asking this question. They were pastors. And Jesus, first thing to them, have you not read your Bible? Do you have to ask this question? Don't you know what God's will is on divorce? Do you have to ask? Have you not read? Look what he said. He takes them back to Genesis 2, uh, to the, the, the origin of marriage. He who made them at the beginning, circle the word made them, you were created by God. You were designed by God. You are not an accident. You are not from the ooze. You are not just a chance of random circumstance. You are not from the, the uh, you know, a single cell aneba that, you know, next thing you know, you came along. No, 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 no. You were designed by God. You were created by God. He made them. At the beginning, he made them male and female. It's so interesting to me. 30 years ago when I first became a Christian, this was pretty obvious. Now today, this is like teaching, right? I mean, we were actually made male or female. That's like, wow, revolutionary. I mean, really? Uh, God made us male or female from the beginning, created by God. And a beautiful design, the differences of male and females. We looked at that last week. Guys, dudes, I mean, no offense, but you're kind of ugly. I mean, you're hairy, you're scrappy, you're rough, you're big, right? Uh, Women, uh, soft and smooth and delicate. And I'm amazed that women are attracted to men. I'm not amazed that men are attracted to women. That's obvious. but, But this design, so different, coming together as one flesh, brilliant design. Brilliant design. He made them male and female, very, very different gifts. Uh, and he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Taking us back to the words God uttered in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 2. A man shall leave his father and mother. What does that mean? He should quit being a dependent. And he should learn how to stand on his own two feet. And he should be a provider and take a wife and care for her. And a woman, she should leave her mother and father, no longer looking to her parents for her covering, and come to a man and he should be uh, her protector, her provider. her. And they come together and she is his helpmate. And together they are one flesh. Brilliant design. Verse 6, so then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And Jesus gives a very clear answer to their question. This was God's will from the beginning. God does not change. No matter how much culture changes, no matter how much time changes, no matter how many millennia go by, God says my plan for marriage has not changed. My plan for man, one man, one woman coming together as one flesh has not changed it's a brilliant plan and when you walk in it it brings incredible joy and purpose and meaning to your life this is God's will for marriage God's design for marriage that a husband and wife be one flesh very clear A man and a woman joined together, no longer living for himself. A man no longer saying, I'm living for my needs, and this is what I want, and this is what I want to do. No, 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 now he lives for his wife. And a wife no longer living for her needs. Well, this is what I want. And this is what I... No, no, now she lives for her husband. And imagine how beautiful the design that God created. He says, what if? What if? Just imagine this for a moment. Just imagine that one person said all i want to do is meet your needs and what if another person said no 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 all i want to do is meet your needs and what if each one each one was trying to outgive the other and meet each other's needs what would that relationship be like if they became one flesh and this person was just trying to meet the, and this person was just trying to meet their needs wow and you know what that is that is exactly god's design for marriage That they would be one. That they would be just living for each other. And may I say, selflessness, selflessness is the currency of God's kingdom. And selflessness is the currency of marriage. It's how God designed it to be. Life is no longer about his dreams, his goals, his ambitions, nor is it any longer about her dreams, her goals, her ambitions. Now it's about our dreams, our goals, our ambitions. We are one flesh. And it's so fascinating, right? God is a triune being father, son and the Holy Spirit three persons, one God and he makes man in his image, two coming together, male and female, both in the image of God man has some of the gifts of God, strong firm commanding a builder, a doer an accomplisher Woman has the image of God. Nurturing. Caring. Emotionally responsive. Emotionally in tune. Emotionally wise. Tender. Soft. And they come together and they bear the image of God. One flesh. God is a triune being. Man is a triune being. Male female Holy Spirit coming together, one bond, a cord of three strands, not easily broken, scripture would teach us. Beautiful design, amen? Remarkable, just remarkable. And uh, 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 God's, Jesus, hey, it's clear from the beginning. This is how it was, one flesh. Jesus modeled that for us so well. Jesus was always focused on excuse me, focused on doing the Father's will. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I represent everything that's important to him. Jesus said, I didn't come to do my will, but the Father's will. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, if this cup can pass, this going to the cross, if this can pass, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want not my will but your will be done and Jesus shows us what it's like to be one flesh in his relationship with the father and uh, God went through great lengths to show us that in Genesis right we looked at that last week in Genesis uh, Eve she was special uh, Adam was made from where The dirt. All the animals made from the dirt. God fashioned them and formed them. The birds, the dogs, the cattle, the horses, the giraffes, the dinosaurs. All fashioned by God from the dirt. Man made from the dirt. But when he made Eve, we learned last week, where did he make Eve from? Not from the dirt. Where from? From his side. You mean to tell me, out of all of God's creation, the only one that he didn't make from the dirt was Eve? Why? Because he was giving Adam a message. Adam, she's you. You're one flesh. And if you build her up, you build yourself up. If you make her better, you make yourself better. If you neglect her, you neglect yourself. If you deprive her, you deprive yourself. If you speak poorly of her, you tear yourself down. You become less of a man. You're one flesh. And Adam understood the message because he said, Oh... This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she is taken out of man. And he gave her his name. She shall be called Isha in Hebrew, for she is taken out of Ish. Adam understood one flesh, God's design. The other thing that we looked at last week in the Genesis story is that they were naked and unashamed naked and unashamed and what that means is God gave Adam certain gifts he was strong he as I mentioned he was a doer he was an accomplisher God gave Eve certain gifts she was soft she was nurturing she was tender she was kind and together they bear the image of God my wife and I bear the image of God far more than we do independently. This is why God is against same-sex marriage because he made men and, and women very differently and gifted them differently so that when they come together they would have the attributes of God to be able to pour into their children and to raise them and to build them. It's God's will. It's God's design. And This naked and unashamed simply means this. She doesn't have some of the gifts I have, and I don't go, what the heck is wrong with you, woman? You don't have these gifts? And she doesn't go, well, what the heck is wrong with you? You don't have an emotion? You can't discern? No, 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 no. We have different gifts and we come together and we are naked and unashamed. Where she's weak, I will cover. And where he's weak, she will cover. And together, there's no shame in the areas of our strengths and weaknesses. And God says, I want you to have a marriage where you come together as one flesh with no shame of your weaknesses. Wow. Great design. So that was last week. Jesus gave a brilliant answer. He told us what, how he wanted marriage to be. And the thesis of last week's message was simply this. God's design for marriage is brilliant. And it is only when we obey Jesus' as Lord that, uh, that we will experience his brilliance in marriage. When we obey Him as Lord, you can walk away from what He designed, but you will not experience the brilliance of His design if you do. You can do it your way. No, I think uh, uh, women's lib and women's rights. Okay, go ahead, but you're only going to hurt yourself. There is no reason... No reason whatsoever if you are in a godly marriage to have women's lib or women's rights. Why? Because a man will be upholding all of a woman's rights to the nth degree. Nobody did more for women's rights than Jesus. Nobody. He elevated them at a time when they uh, uh, were not elevated. And so it's not necessary. Different roles, one flesh, naked and unashamed, God's brilliant design for marriage, and we experience his brilliance only when we're walking in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Great design. Now, the religious leaders got a very clear answer from Jesus, an astute answer from Jesus, a brilliant answer from Jesus. But the problem is they didn't come to learn. They came to judge. They came to test and because they didn't come to learn they hear Jesus' brilliant answer and instead of being able to receive it they're blind and deaf by their own self-righteousness self-righteousness always causes us to be blind and deaf to what is right in front of our face the Bible says do you see a man who is proud in his ways there is more hope for a fool than for him wow wow And because they are prideful, they couldn't hear it. So they come and they ask Jesus another question. Jesus gave them a brilliant answer. They don't hear it. Look what they say, verse 7. They said to him, that's the religious leaders, that's the pastors, they say to Jesus, why then did Moses command? Yeah, they say command, take note of that. Command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away. And you know, I can picture this in my mind. Can't you picture the religious leaders when they said this? What did their face look like? They were smug. Well, I think we got you now here. I think we are not, you know, because didn't Moses command that we would give a certificate of divorce? (laughs) Isn't smug an ugly quality? Don't you just want to wipe smug off of someone's face? <laughs> I, need to, I need to discipline myself right now and get back into the text. <laughs> uh, they come to him. Uh, Jesus, why did then Moses command? And look what Jesus says. He said to them, because of the hardness of your hearts. You might want to underline those words. Hardness of your hearts. What does that mean? What does it mean to have a hardness of a heart? What does he mean? Let me hear some ideas from you. What does it mean to have a hardness of heart? Lack of an open mind. What was that? Lack of an open mind. Lack of an open mind. Really good, Gary. Really good. What else? What was that? Prideful. Prideful, Really good. Yeah. Unforgiving, someone said. What else? Selfish. Selfish. Really good. What else? Not teachable. Really good. Hardness of heart is I'm not coming to receive. I'm coming to instruct. I'm not coming to care about you. I'm coming to demand my way. Uh, I don't really... I just see myself as better than everything else. It causes a hard heart, and a hard heart is a dangerous thing. And Jesus says it's because of the hardness of your hearts that Moses permitted you to divorce. Because you want to align yourself up to God's will. You want to take time to humble yourself and learn God's ways and understand what he meant when he made you one flesh and when he made her so different than you and he made him so different than you. You instead of understanding and appreciating that you hardened your heart you wouldn't receive it and he wasn't able to guide you because of the hardness of your hearts Moses permitted permitted you to divorce your wives but from the beginning it was not so it was never God's will verse 9 and I say to you that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. The religious leaders asked, were questioning Jesus about uh, uh, divorce. Jesus gave them a great answer. They still couldn't hear it because of their pride. So they ask again. And Jesus says, well, let me tell you another way. If you don't know that divorce is a sin, let me tell you this. If you get divorced, then you cause adultery And adultery is a sin. So do you get that? And he answers them another way. Uh, adultery causes sin. And I know that as we look at these passages, you know, look what he says. He says, hey, if you get divorced for any any reason other than the sexual immorality uh, and you marry another, now you're committing adultery. You're just an adulterer now. And obviously that's a sin. Uh, and here I know something happens. In a group this big, in a group this large, there's people with all different things going on in life. And I just know there's probably a lot of divorces in this room. And I want you to know something. If you are divorced, it is not the unpardonable sin. Jesus isn't teaching here that if you're divorced, sorry, uh, try, you know, better luck next time, uh, you lose. No, 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 no. Uh, It's not the unpardonable sin. Uh, It's, you know,. Jesus is willing to forgive. And I would encourage you, if you are divorced, make sure you are under the lordship of Jesus Christ and now bathe in the Savior's grace. Do you know from the cross of Calvary, where Jesus died for our sins, there flows a river of grace. And I tell you, as a sinful man, I love to bathe in that river. Whenever I sin, I know my relationship with Jesus. I understand what it is. I'm the sinner. He's the Savior. I have these two positions very clear in my life. And every time I sin, I don't pout in my sin. I don't beat myself up in my sin. I go right to Jesus and say, Lord, will you please forgive me? I know you died on the cross. I know you went through incredible lengths to be able to pay for my sin. Lord, I thank you for it, and I receive it freely. And now I repent of my sin, and I say, I want to walk with you. And so if you are divorced, bathe in his grace, but do some things, repent of your sins, learn from past sins, and learn what was lacking in your character that caused that divorce and grow, grow. Why were you divorced? Were you led by emotion? Were you just emotionally driven and it caused havoc in your life? Were you selfish, or maybe you had to be right? Just you had to be right all the time. Maybe you were high high-minded. You just thought your way was right on everything. Or maybe, just maybe, you were high maintenance, and you just wore the poor guy out, or wore the poor woman out. You ever been with someone who's high maintenance? It's like woo. How was <laughs> some work? Yeah, uh, grow, grow, repent, understand God's role for marriage. Uh, maybe, maybe, this is really common in women. Maybe during the dating relationship, you were seeing things only what you wanted to see instead of what was really there. Maybe you just saw what you wanted to see. You know what the Bible calls that? A lack of what? Discernment. It's time to grow in discernment. So you see what God is really showing you instead of just what you want to see. Hey, I don't know. There could be a lot of things, but if you're divorced, hey, God's grace will flow, but repent, grow, and allow God to be able to build you. If you're married... Here's God's instruction in this passage. Don't get divorced. Know this is God's will from the beginning that you'd be one flesh. And go for it in Jesus' name. If your marriage isn't what you want it to be, hey, no sweat. Just repent. Make Jesus Lord of your life and align your life up to what Jesus wants and go for it in Jesus' name. I so love how kids get this so well, right? Uh... Uh, uh, Friday night, uh, we went over to Brian and Joelle's house for dinner, and they've got three kids, and we brought a little game for the kids to play, and I was playing with Amelia, cute as can be. I mean, she's what, eight, eight years old, nine years old, I don't know. Cute as can be, and as we're playing, I noticed she'd go to throw the ball, and she'd miss, and she'd go, oh, hang on, do over, and she'd grab the ball and throw it again, and she'd miss again. Hang on, do over, and she'd grab the ball and do it again. And I love that. I love that. I just want to get it right. I just want to do it right. And kids have a good understanding and some marriages, you know what some marriages need? A do-over. Not a divorce, not a divorce. Just a do-over. Hey, we've been we've been selfish. We've been greedy. We haven't been one flesh. I've been keeping score, you've been keeping score. I've been a hothead, you've been a hothead. I've been high-minded. Uh, you know, you've been a knucklehead. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Let's have, a, let's have a do-over. Let's line it up in Jesus' way and let's go for it in Jesus' name. Let's value each other. And let's try what the Bible talks about. I'm just going to outserve you. And I'm just going to outserve you. And I'm, I'm doesn't matter what you do for me. I'm just going to bl- and let's just outserve each other. Let's just go for it in Jesus name. I'm going to cover your nakedness. You can be naked and unashamed. I'm not going to point out your faults. I'm going to cover them. Uh oh, just amazing. Uh love will flourish when that happens. I want you to know something. The truth is no one uh The truth is, great marriages are built. No one stumbles into a great marriage. Great marriages are built. No one gets lucky. Great marriages are built on the lordship of Jesus Christ. And start over, man. If you're married, just start over and build it if you're not on that track. If you're single, uh, pay attention. Uh, If you're single, I want you to know something. Getting married will not fix your, what? How did you know? (laughs) Getting married will not fix your problems. How did we know? Because that's a common thought that people have. Well, I'm miserable in life right now. I just want to get married. Well, good luck with that one. (laughs) That may not go so well. Well, why not? Here's why. Because all the things that are making you miserable right now, you're going to bring with you into your marriage. Marriage isn't a magic fairy dust, it's, it's a plan of God. And if you're single, know that getting married will not fix all of your problems. The time to prepare for being a good in a good marriage is now. The time to prepare is now. Learn to be selfless now. Learn to serve others now. Learn to handle conflict in a tactful and building, building way of the other person. Now, now, while you're single, learn what it means to serve others. Uh, I know a lot of times if you're single, here's what's happened: you're on the prowl, baby. You walked into church today, and you're on the prowl. <laughs> you wore your good shirt, you wore your nice dress. You're on the prowl, and what are you looking for? I'm looking for a godly spouse. I'm on the proud (laughs) I think I had too much coffee (laughs) hey if you're single I want to give you a revolutionary thought I don't want you looking for a godly spouse You you know what I want you doing I want you working at being a godly spouse big difference Big difference. Be a godly spouse. Just be one. Learn now how to be selfless. Learn now how to walk with wisdom and discernment. Learn now how to hear instead of speak. Learn now how to uh, humble yourself and put others above yourself and not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Learn now how to serve others. Learn now how to be selfless. And here's what happens. As you become a godly spouse, guess what God will do? God will bring you, you'll attract a godly spouse. Right now, if you're just looking for a godly spouse, you'll think you find one when you didn't, and they'll marry you because they're not a godly spouse either. Do you understand? But if you are a godly spouse, you will attract a godly spouse, and you won't fall for any counterfeit. Big difference. And so there's Jesus' instruction uh, uh, for divorce, married, and single. Uh, If you're single, be careful, man. Beware of Fantasy Island. Uh, If you're unhappy being single, you're going to be unhappy being married. It's just the way it is. Uh, Marriage will not complete complete you. Uh, Contrary to Jerry Maguire theology... uh, (laughs) What was her name? Jenny? I don't remember. What. You complete me, Jenny. No, you don't. Jenny won't complete you. It will not happen. Just doesn't work that way. There is only one co- who will complete you, and his name is Jesus. Jesus. And when you are completing him and you meet someone who is completing him, now you are ready to have a complete marriage and be one flesh, and not until. So uh, be wise. Be wise. Um, now, Jesus taught about the the, uh, the incredible uh, design of marriage. And the disciples understood the cost. And look what they come back with this question of in verse 10. They heard Jesus speaking to the religious leaders. They heard Jesus take them back to the origin of marriage and God's brilliant design in marriage. And they were like, wow, I mean, that's amazing. But man, there's a high price. There's a selflessness. There's a, And look what the, the disciples ask. Verse 10. His disciples said to him, to Jesus... If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Yeah, they understood the high price of serving your spouse and blessing your spouse and keeping no record of wrongs and uh, naked and unashamed and being one flesh. And they said, wow, man, if that's the case, it's better not to marry. And look what Jesus answers. Uh, He says, he said to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. What's that? Yeah, there are some that have been given the gift of singleness, or more specifically, given the gift of celibacy. People will often ask me, singles will often ask me, uh, do you think God's called me to get married? Uh, Do you think God's called, called me to be single? Uh, I always ask this question. Well, do you have a desire to be with someone? If God gave you that desire, then he hasn't called you to singleness, right? Uh, If you have sexual desires, if you want to be united with someone, if you want to be in a relationship, uh, then you haven't been called to it. Look what he says. All cannot accept the saying, only those to whom it has been given. Some are given the gift of celibacy. And here's what he says, verse 12. For there are eunuchs who were born this from the mother's womb. In other words, they were given the gift of celibacy from birth. They just don't have a strong sex drive and they're content being single. They're celibate from birth. There are eunuchs who are made eunuchs by men. Uh, We know in that day, it was common, kings would castrate uh, the men in the king's court so they could have this big giant harem and not worry about the men going after them. They were made eunuchs by men. Uh, There are some who are made eunuchs by men by mountain bike accidents, right? I mean, uh, different things like that. But... uh, Uh, made eunuchs by men Uh, and then there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake interesting they're self-made eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake he who is able to receive it let him receive it the apostle Paul was one of these men he was married previously He then came to Jesus Christ. Jesus drew him to himself. He gave his life to Jesus and he said, I want to serve full time for the kingdom of God's sake. I don't want to be focused on anything else but serving Jesus 24-7 and doing all those things. And here's something I want to call your attention to if you're single. If you're single and you have the gift of celibacy, use it to the glory of God. Don't let the culture and the the world's ways try to fit you into a mold that maybe isn't best for you maybe you should stay single and serve Jesus 24/7 uh, with an undivided interest, uh, Paul did, uh, and I know men in this church who have this gift, and they are content. Man, they are serving God twenty four seven, just without the encumbrance of a family. Paul focused his life, his full his, his life on full time ministry twenty four seven, but not all the disciples did. Peter and the other disciples, they all got married. They didn't have that gift. Paul was not more spiritual than Peter. Paul was not more spiritual than John just because they were married, right? Uh, uh, Being being celibate doesn't make you more spiritual than being married. They're just two different ministries that God wants you to walk in. But if you do have the gift, look how much you can get done. Look how many churches Paul planted. Look at how much of the New Testament Paul wrote. Paul wrote 30% of the New Testament. Aren't you glad? His ministry is still bearing fruit in our lives today. So thankful. And, uh, you know, he, he could do all those things because he was single. And again, I know men in, in the church they who have this gift and they serve 24 uh, 7. They're not missing out. They're just blessed. Uh, flip over. I asked you to put your uh, save a spot in Corinthians 7. Let's flip over there. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Great chapter on marriage. If you're married and you haven't, even if you aren't, you haven't, uh, you want to be married someday, uh, read Corinthians chapter 7. Read Ephesians 4 and 5. Read Genesis 2. Just great chapters on marriage. Um, but anyway, 1 uh, Corinthians 7. If you're there, give me a big amen Amen. I got people walking out on me here man is it something I said (laughs) it's a lot of things you said Uh, 1 Corinthians 7 verse 1 now concerning the things which you wrote to me yeah the Corinthians had had, wrote Paul a letter and they were asking about marriage and divorce uh, asking about singleness all that kind of stuff and he says it is good for a man not to touch a woman what's Paul saying If you have the gift, it's good to walk in it. If you have the gift of celibacy, use it for the glory of Jesus. Put that slide back up for me, if you will. Use it for the glory of Jesus. It's good if you have it, he says. Uh, Jump jump forward to verse 32, chapter 7, verse 32. Paul speaking to those who have uh, the gift of celibacy, he says, I want you to be without care. I want you to be just focused on discipling others. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord. How he might please the Lord. How he might serve Jesus and make disciples and plant churches and go on mission trips. And, uh, you know, just be doing those kind of things. Verse 33. He who is married cares about the things of the world. Both are very, excuse me, uh, cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Both are very valid. The married man thinks how he might build his wife up. How he might disciple his son. How he might teach his daughter the things that are really valuable in life. He's focused on what his daughter is going through in third grade. He's focused on teaching his boy how to be a good sport when he strikes out at home plate on the baseball field. He's focused on building his family. It's a great ministry. Verse 34, There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. An unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord. That she might be holy, both in body and spirit. Again, uh, he talked about men. Now he's talking about women. She's out and she's discipling women. And she's proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to other women. And she's raising up uh, women and, and serving in the church and serving the Lord. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she might please her husband. Yeah, she's trying to build a great family and help her husband and be a great helpmate. And and, uh, again, both are great ministries. Verse 35, And I say this for your own profit, not that I might put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. If you're married, you can serve the Lord in your marriage. If you have the gift of celibacy, you can serve the Lord without distraction of having a marriage, right? Verse 36. But if any man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his virgin, if she has passed the flower of her youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes, he does not sin, let him marry. Is that clear to everybody? Oh, that's not clear to anybody. You who are shaking your head, yes, we're lying in church. <laughs> what the heck is he talking about? Flower of her youth? What? Uh, I want you to do something that I would normally not do, but it's uh, there's a time and a place for everything. Do something for me, if you will. Put a parenthesis around the word she is past the flower of youth. Put a parenthesis around those seven words. And I want you to know something. That is a bad translation. And here's why. Those seven English words come from one Greek word. Anytime you have seven words coming from one word, you have a mistranslation, right? That one word, you want to know what that Greek word is? It's overripe. Overripe. It's the only time it's used in the Bible overripe. Let's read it that way. I think it will make a lot more sense. And by the way, there is no, it says she there, there is no she, there is no feminine pronoun in the Greek here. It just means overripe. So let's read verse 36 again this way. But if any man thinks he is behaving improperly towards his virgin, If overripe, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes, he does not sin, let them marry. Does that make more sense now? Overripe means... (laughs) You're the one who said yes before. What are you talking about? <laughs> I know I didn't make it more confusing. Uh, overripe means burning with desire. Overripe means can't contain yourself. Here's what it says. If a man is behaving improperly, if he's with his girl and they're just jonesing, right? It's just just a hunk of hunk of burning love. Ah! Uh, I told last service those are the things I wake up on Monday morning and go, I can't believe I said that and just what the what the heck am I thinking? If there is this desire that is overripe Just get married. You do not sin. It's not bad. You don't have the gift. Just get married. You have a different ministry that God's calling you to. And that's what Paul is teaching. Is that clear? Let's go back to chapter 7, verse 1. Let's understand God's design for marriage. Now, concerning the things which you wrote to me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman if you have the gift. Verse 2, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, in case you're overripe, let let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Interesting words. Did you notice the pronouns there? Let each one have his own wife? Have his own have her own husband, do you get a sense? do you get a a feel of ownership you should it 's what Paul was implying. Have your own and look at this. He unpacks it more and let the husband render to his wife the affection do do her and uh, ladies i 'm sorry, the context here is not affection, like just niceness it 's it's sexual affection, right? And now it includes nurturing affection also, but the, uh, anyway, let the husband render to his wife the affection to her, and likewise also the wife to her husband, the affection due him. Look at this. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Wow. Brilliant design. Brilliant design. If you're married, take a look at that thing sitting next to you and just look at each other and go, that belongs to me. That's mine. And you can say it right back at him. Oh, yeah? Well, that belongs to me. Go ahead. Take a minute. Have fun. All right. That's enough. Verse 5. This is church. Do not deprive one another. Wow. Wow. We talked about last week. uh, God gave sex as a gift to marriage. I remember giving my kids gifts at Christmas. You know, you give them like a... A toy, and the next thing you know, they're hitting their brother with it. Like wham, wham, Like, hey, wait a minute! That's not why I gave you that gift. That gift was to play with. It wasn't to beat your brother with. And God gives us the gift of sex, and He's like, wait a minute, wait—that's not to punish your mate with. That's not what it's for. And look what He says: don't deprive one another. I like how the King James says it: don't defraud one another. Defraud. What a great word. It was supposed to be one thing, but it's a fraud. Wow, don't defraud one another, except with consent for a time that you might give yourself to prayer and fasting and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Yeah, you don't have the gift of celibacy, and here's what he's saying, don't ever let there be a time where there's not frequent sexual relations between the two of you except for this period, if you decide that you're going to fast for a, a couple of days, then you can both do it if it's an agreement together, and then as soon as it's over, come together again so that you're not tempted. Wow. Wow. Here's a point that I want you to see from this text. Marriage is the only context where sexual appetites are to be satisfied. It's the only context. Paul says, Hey, listen, man, Uh, wives, I want you just blessing your husbands. And husbands, I want you just blessing your wives. And your body does not belong to you, it belongs to your spouse. Just a great design. But it's only in the context of marriage. Your sexual appetite is meant to be met in marriage. And how often should you drink water? Whenever you're thirsty, and that's how God designed marriage to be, Uh, the world does this very differently, and I want you to know it's messed up, it's wrong, it's sin, it's out of God's will. Sex has no place in boyfriend-girlfriend relationships. Oh, but we're engaged, we're in love. Sex has no place in fiancé-fiancée. Relationships. Sex has no place in friends with benefits. Sex has no place in same-sex relationships. Same se- uh, sex has no place on the internet. Sex has no place in bars and clubs. Sex has no place in Daniel Steele books. <laughs> sex has no place in massage parlors or escort services or on and on I could go... The only context where sexual appetites are to be satisfied is marriage. That is God's design. And anything else is sin. And Paul says here, don't deprive each other. Uh, and if you do so for fasting, if fasting's good, by the way. The reason we fast from food or from water is we say, hey, I want to go a day without food and water that I might learn how to deny my flesh so that I can walk more in tune with God's Spirit. And there's a time for that. Uh, and you can do that in, as a husband and wife as well, but only for a moment and then come back together. Um, verse 6. But I say this as a, con- as a concession, not as a commandment, for I wish that all men were even as myself celibate, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and one in that manner. I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. Remain single and serve serve the Lord, plant churches like Paul did, just go, you know, live your life to the glory of Jesus. Uh, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than it is to burn with passion. It's better to marry than it is to be inflamed with sexual desire and uh, and not using it in the right way. I think that uh, it was Spurgeon, if I'm remembering correctly, a quote coming to my head. Um, Spurgeon said this, I believe, I think Spurgeon forced celibacy is the seedbed of sin isn't that a great verse forced celibacy is the seedbed of sin uh uh if you have the gift, great. If you don't have the gift, get married. It's God's will. And a husband and wife is the only place where sex is God-approved and God-ordained and where sex is blessed by God, where sex is beautiful in God's eyes. I want you to know you don't have to be ashamed of the things that happen. You can delight in them. You don't have to hide them from God. God designed you with all those weird ideas uh, because it's his will that you would come together as one flesh and delight in each other and sex in the context of marriage is amazing but all other sex is sin it's outside of God's will and we need a definition of terms here all sex is sex and we need that definition of term because of Mr. Bill Clinton right? Well, it depends on what is, is. No, it doesn't, Bill. No, it doesn't, right? All sex is sex. And I need to tell you something. In a group the size, I know there's a lot of couples dating, and I know that there are some guys in this room, and they're telling the girl, oh, this isn't sex. This is okay with Jesus, Ladies, I want to tell you something straight and to the point. If you have a man that is telling you that, he has twisted theology. And you have problems far bigger than premarital sex. He doesn't know Jesus and he's manipulating religion. He is twisting theology. He does not know Jesus. You are with a man who does not know Jesus if he's selling you that line of goods. And I have a one-word answer for you. It's three letters. It's simple. It's not complex. Anyone can understand it. Are you ready? Run! Run, Forrest! Run! Run! Don't look back. Don't pass go. Just run! Get the heck out of there because here's why if you come with a man and you marry this guy here's what's going to happen now you're one flesh with a a scripture twister with a man who doesn't know jesus that's a problem all right now the joke's on me i don't even know what you're laughing at Couples, if you, if you are here and you are in that relationship, I want to tell you the same thing. I spoke to the divorced people. Just repent. Just take it seriously. Just repent. Just get out of it right now and God will bless you. God will bless you. Uh, next point that we learn from this passage, God's design for marriage. God wants you to be sexually satisfied in marriage. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? What a good God. I mean, He wants you to be thoroughly satisfied that's God's will for you Uh, God created sex for you I know that you kind of think like I don't does God know about this yeah he knows about this man it was his design and it's it's marvelous in his eyes it's a hundred percent his will it's God created it's sacred it's God ordained it's blessed did you hear the word I didn't use it lightly your sexual relationship with your spouse is sacred It's a sacred time together. How awesome God is. Uh, And if you are in a marriage and your sex life isn't being thoroughly enjoyed and celebrated by both parties, let me just tell you flat out, something is wrong. Pay attention and fix it. It's your responsibility. It's your marriage. Fix it. Don't go two years three years five years don't go 20 minutes fix it fix it and make it uh align it up to what god wants pay close attention to god's word here he says hey listen uh the husband is to render to his wife the affection due her and the wife the same to her husband his body's yours her body is yours, works both ways, and that's God's will, that you would be completely satisfied sexually in marriage. Verse 5 says, do not deprive each other. Do not deprive each other. Fulfill each other's sexual desires. Uh, that is God's will. And again, it's God's will that you'd be completely satisfied. Married couples have a responsibility to take care of each other in this way, not to deprive each other. And a healthy marriage is marked by the privilege of trying to outserve each other. It's just what marks a healthy marriage. Do you know when sex is the very best? Uh, I don't mean what time of day. I mean, when. When (laughs) do you know when sex is the very best? It's when one person comes to the other and says, I'm not in this for me. I am just in this for you. And this person says, no, 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 no. I'm in it for you. And when both come together that way, oh, it's explosive. That's what God designed. And all of your needs get met. That's God's design. I told you PG-13. And listen to me. Uh, Men, listen to me for a moment. The responsibility is on your shoulders first. For even biology teaches us, even biology teaches us that a man initiates and a woman receives. And what is true physically is also true spiritually. It's a, the physical is a picture of the spiritual. And God's design is brilliant. Amen? Um. So enjoy what God has designed and avoid, uh, protect your marriage from sexual abuses, withholding, controlling, manipulating, uh, being a selfish taker, uh, just, you know, only for, only in for your own interest, uh, be careful. Avoid, you know, protect your marriage from those sexual abuses. Um, I love that God designed the marriage relationship where this part of the sexual union is what distinguishes your relationship from all other relationships. You have something that is so sacred, something that is so holy, that it's between you and your wife alone and no one else, you and your husband, you and your spouse alone, and no one else knows what goes on in that sacred arena. It's not to be shared. It's not going to be talked about. It's sacred. God's design. beautiful. Beautiful. Um, I want to leave you, uh, we'll close with this. Um, can you hang with me for just a couple more minutes? I know we're going we're gonna to run just maybe five minutes late. If you can give me five more minutes, we'll close with this. I want to close with looking at uh, God's purpose for sexual intimacy in marriage. There are five purposes that are brilliant for sexual intimacy in marriage. Uh, We'll go through them quickly. So you might want to get a pen out and just jot them down. These are five purposes for sexual intimacy in marriage, again, that are just totally brilliant. The first one is obvious. It's this. It's for procreation. The two becoming one flesh in another life. We just had... uh, Um, Kirby and Haley at the first service, at the 830 service. And I couldn't believe it. Haley had a little boy, Michael, on Wednesday. And she was here in church this morning. I got to hold little Michael. Uh, Beautiful. And you know what? I look at him and I'm like, oh, I can see your cheeks. I can see Your features in him. I can see your eyes. I can, oh, he's got your smile. Oh, he's got, and the two become one flesh in a child. Brilliant design. Just brilliant. I look at my kids and I love seeing some of my attributes on my kids and some of my wife's attributes on my kids. And I just think, Jesus, you're amazing, right? Just amazing. Number two, God's purpose for sexual intimacy is oneness. Oneness. That you would come together physically and it would produce an intimacy that is so close, a bond a passion for each other that is just like it's, it's animalistic passion for each other that is just a oneness that only that person can bring you. It's just amazing. And what you feel, I feel. And what I feel, you feel. And it's together, it's like a oneness that cannot be made anywhere else. It's amazing. The two become one flesh. Brilliant. design. The third brilliant design is pleasure and recreation. That you would delight in your spouse, and your spouse would delight in you. That you would have pleasure in your spouse, and your spouse would have pleasure in you. In the Trinity, there is this delight in each other. The, the Father delights in the Son. The Son delights in the Father. The Holy Spirit delights in bringing glory to the Son. The the Son delights in the Holy Spirit. Uh, There's this delight in each other, and God gives us marriage to have that that recreation and that pleasure, that delight in each other that is just incredible the two becoming one flesh. Uh, It should be incredibly delightful, incredibly playful, and fun and joyous, and that's how God designed it. Uh, A steamy verse for you Proverbs 5 on your screens Um, let me hear you read this rejoice with the wife of your youth as a loving deer and a graceful doe let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love this is God's design that you would just delight in each other it'd be just just so fun to be together and, you know, you just love touching each other. That's just God's design. Look what look what the scripture says. Rejoice with the wife of your youth. I've been married 34 uh, years. And this instruction is to me. Rejoice with the wife of my youth. When I was just a young springtime lover, right, with my wife. And... And that's the God's instruction. God, your ways are so good. I love them. I love them, right? And so may we, may we embrace that. That's, a, that's God's will as we rejoice in recreation and pleasure as the two become one flesh. The fourth one is super important. Uh, God's design in marriage and in, in sexual intimacy is that we would have protection. Protection. And that's one that you may not think of. Protection. What kind of protection? Well, both physical protection and spiritual protection. Uh, Physical protection and spiritual protection. Here's what we know. Temptation is everywhere. It's everywhere. And men are more visual. Men are bombarded visually With sexual temptation everywhere they go. Women are more relational. And women are bombarded with relational temptation everywhere they go. They're at work. And they show up. And the guy that walks by her desk just happens to be so nice what'd you do this weekend well how well you look lovely in that dress oh i brought you a cup of coffee and she's tempted by relational temptation and here's what the scripture says when we come together as one flesh we will have protection from all those temptations protection both physically and spiritually. And healthy, frequent sexual intimacy protects men from visual sexual temptation and it protects women from relational temptation. And again, God's design, design is brilliant. For a husband, we're, we're very different, right? For a husband, frequent sex makes a great marriage. How's your marriage? It's great. Uh, We haven't talked, but hey, we have a lot of sex, right? That's dinner's on the table and bedroom's great. My marriage is amazing, right? That's how a man defines a great marriage. For a woman, she's different. For a woman, frequent sex is the fruit of having a great relationship with her husband. And here we have a brilliant design She needs the relational intimacy. He needs the physical intimacy. And he's focusing on her needs. She's focusing on his needs. And everybody's happy. It's a great design. We should just say, amen, God, you're amazing, right? Last one, last one, and then I'm going to ask Kyle and the team to come up. The last one, God's purpose and design for sexual intimacy is comfort and healing. Comfort and healing. Uh, A brilliant design. Uh, Sexual intimacy brings comfort and healing to a wounded soul. A man can have a really hard day at work. He can lose a big account. He can get chewed out by somebody. Somebody. He can feel like a total failure. And he comes home and he tells his wife what happened. And his wife can comfort him and just come alongside him and say, Baby, no, you're, you're amazing. You're not a failure. You're a good man. And God will take care of us. and and she can bring it, be a helpmate to him. And uh, they go to the marriage bed and, and just, man, like all the problems of the world just go away, right? Brings comfort. A woman can feel bad about herself and she doesn't feel. Pretty. She doesn't feel special. She doesn't feel loved. She doesn't feel cared for. She doesn't feel good enough. And a husband could come along and say, oh, baby, you're amazing. I mean, I just can't keep my hands off you. You're just gorgeous. You're beautiful. You're wonderful. I want to be with you. I want And he can take her and comfort her. And uh, so awesome. Um, we see in Scripture uh, this coming out and bearing uh, illustration in a really great way. David had taken Bathsheba to be his wife. It was a sin. It was a mistake. David confessed. David repented. She was pregnant. That child died. David was mourning while the child was sick. He was mourning, saying, Lord, please, please. And the child died. And David, when the child died, did something interesting. He quit fasting. He quit mourning. He washed his face and he ate. And everybody said, David, I don't understand. Your child just died. He said, hey, well, when the child was alive, I was praying. I was asking the Lord. But now that he's dead, uh, I have to accept God's will. And he says, I can't, my, my child can't come to me, but I shall go to him. And he gives us some good theology about what happens to those who lose children. Uh, their children go to heaven. And David says, one day I'm going to go be with my child. And then David did something very interesting. After he ate and he washed his face, uh, scripture would tell us, uh, 2 Samuel, uh, chapter 12, on your screens. Let's read this together. One thundering voice. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. And he went into her, and he lay with her. And so she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. They got their focus off of what they lost. And they got their focus on their love for each other and what God was giving them. And they moved forward together in love. And it brought comfort and healing into their lives. This is God's will, God's amazing design for marriage. It's incredible that we would be one flesh. That we would be naked and unashamed, not pointing out each other's faults, but covering each other's weaknesses and rejoicing in each other's strengths. That we would be one flesh in procreation. That we would be one flesh in oneness, physical intimacy coming together in just a bond that is so close, so tender. That we would be recreational and pleasing each other and enjoying each other that we would be protecting each other that would be comforting and healing each other Uh, oh this is God's design for marriage it is brilliant and may we walk in it to the glory of God Amen? amen will you stand with me you who are single see live it to the glory of God If you desire to be married, work on becoming the spouse that God's calling you to be. If you're married, align your marriage up to all that Jesus has shown us over the last two weeks in these passages. And go out now as lights in a dark world, showing the rest of the world what an amazing marriage looks like. Can I share something with you to the glory of God? I'm not boasting. I'm not boasting in myself in any way, shape, or form. I have an amazing marriage. And I absolutely love it. It's not because I'm a good guy. It's not because I'm so amazing. It's because I've learned God's ways and I try to walk in them. And they bring amazing fruit. May you enjoy it. May you go shine brightly as a bright light in a dark world. And may you reveal the glory of Jesus in all that you do.